Well, today we are beginning a brand new message series called Unbelievable. And uh, regardless of what you believe, whether you are a Christ follower or if you're checking out this whole God thing, um, the Easter story and the events around that and after that, before that, uh, were all unbelievable. Uh, for instance, uh, as Jesus was concluding his ministry after three years, uh, many of the people were ready to make him the king, the king of Israel. And uh, then at the end of Easter week or uh, the Passover celebration, many of the people were ready to crucify him. And then um, as Jesus lived his life in front of others for three years in his public ministry, uh, many people saw him not sin. And yet near the end of his life, he said he was going to become sin and that he was going to die for the sins of the world. And then finally, many people saw Jesus uh, be nailed to the cross, die a criminal's death, but then they saw him come back to life from the dead. And all those things were like unbelievable. Some of them were like crazy things that people saw with their very own eyes. And so what made them believable is that people saw them for themselves. They saw them with their very own eyes. So in this series, we're going to be examining all the things that were unbelievable, but God made believable. And so it's going to be an amazing series. Now, uh, I'm curious, by a raise of hands, how many of you have seen like the unbelievable? Okay, yeah, raise them up, raise them high. Hey, I know we got a bunch of YouTube junkies who've seen YouTube, all right? You've seen some pretty crazy stuff, right? Well, besides YouTube, uh, many of us have seen unbelievable things, right? And many of us, some of us, have really experienced personally some unbelievable things. When I was growing up, my youth group went on bike trips. We rode Harleys. No, we didn't ride Harleys. We rode 10-speed bikes, if you remember what those were, okay? That was before like 21-speed bikes, okay? And so we would go on these bicycle trips each summer. And one summer, we went from uh, Orlando to Amelia Island and back. It took a week, okay? And so as we were riding, teenagers, this is teenagers, okay? Moms, you can let your teenagers go, okay? So anyways, as we were riding, uh, my group was in this downtown section at lunch, and there was tons of traffic. And uh, myself and this guy, we were kind of like pulling up the rear of our group, and our group was ahead. Uh, there was a stoplight. My friend and I, we had to stop. And all of a sudden, they went ahead, and they're like ahead. I mean, we're at this long light, and I, I look at Chris behind me, and I'm like, we got to book it to catch up with our group. And so we take off. I'm out in front. He's behind me. And all of a sudden, you know, our lane would turn into right turn lanes. Well, a car pulls up on our left side, and uh, all of a sudden, this car decides to, like, you know, try to split us to get into the right turn lane. Not a good idea, okay? So sure enough, all of a sudden, I hear this car engine behind me, and my back tire starts to be lifted up onto bumpers. Remember what those were? Yeah, there were bumpers, some serious bumpers. So my back tire starts going up onto his bumper, and all of a sudden, he slams his brakes, and I get shot out like a cannon, like a cannonball. And so I'm literally, if you imagine, rear bike up, I'm on this front wheel, my bike zooms into the right lane, hits the curb, my bike goes flying up in the air, I go flying up in the air, and I land on the other side of the sidewalk. Now, my friend, he comes running up, 
And he's like, Tim, Tim, are you okay? Are you okay? And my back is like, my bike is laying flat on the ground. Somehow I am like a cat, all fours on top of my bike, which I don't know how I did that, okay? And I didn't feel one impact at all. And so my friend, he's looking all over me. There's no cuts, there's no bruises. And he's like, Tim, are you okay? I'm like, Chris, I'm okay. And he just starts like freaking out. He starts pacing back and forth, back and forth. And he goes, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And I said, Chris, I'm okay. Now, it was unbelievable. And for Chris, it was not only unbelievable, but it was believable because he saw this car ram me. He saw me go flying in the air with my bike and he saw that I was okay and I was totally fine. Now, many of us have experienced the unbelievable. If we had time and we went around and we asked some questions, I bet some of you have some unbelievable stories as well. And as you tell those stories, the unbelievable becomes believable. And so today, specifically, we're gonna check out this event and we're gonna check out the entire uh, Easter week as well. So we've got a lot of ground to cover and we're going to see it through the eyes of those who saw the unbelievable, but they saw it with their very own eyes. And so what they saw made it believable. They witnessed it. They saw it. They were interviewed about it. They wrote it down. And so today we're going to see what they saw. We're going to experience what they experienced. And we're going to see that it was believable and why so many people have believed it for so many years, why we're talking about this some 2,000 years later. So if you would, turn with me to John chapter 11, verse four in your Bibles or your smartphone devices. Now, I'm gonna cover a lot of ground. I mean, I'm covering an event, and then I'm covering uh, the whole Passion Week or Easter Week um, or Passover Week. Uh, but if you want to test your skills and try to keep up, that's awesome. <laughs> We're also going to be putting uh, the verses on the screen. Uh, but if you don't have a Bible, always feel free to have a Bible from the back as our gift to you. And then also, I want to encourage you, if you don't have the YouVersion Bible app, to download that on your smartphone device. It is an amazing tool where you get to read Scripture. It will even play audio, and there's tons of great resources for you to be able to understand Scripture. So go ahead and turn to John chapter 11, verse 4, and I'll give you a moment to get there. All right, so let me set the scene. Um, we are jumping into an event that took place, like I said, just before the Passover week or Passover celebration. Now, the Passover celebration, uh, it was a yearly celebration that lasted for seven days. And every Jew was required to come from wherever they live to the capital city, to Jerusalem, and celebrate what God had done long time ago with the nation of Israel, bringing them and freeing them from Egypt by doing this unbelievable thing at the end of their uh, uh, time with Egypt. He said to the nation of Israel and anyone who was listening, hey, before I send this final plague, I want you to uh, slaughter an innocent, pure lamb, and I want you to spread its blood over the doorposts, and if you do that, you will be saved. Now, 
Fast forward, and Jesus has done some amazing things during his three years of ministry, but the one that we're gonna focus on right before the Passover celebration got everyone, got everyone talking. It, it, it was the thing that everyone started to believe that, man, this is really the Messiah. This is the Son of God. This is God himself in the flesh. So at this point, Jesus is just outside of Bethany, maybe a few days away from it. And Bethany is just like two miles down the road from Jerusalem. And a messenger is sent to Jesus by Martha and Mary, uh, begging, almost pleading uh, for Jesus to come because their brother Lazarus, who he knew, was deathly ill. And so uh, they, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, uh, saw Jesus do so many unbelievable things that they were believable to them. Like they used their wealth and their house to support Jesus, but more than that, they were dear friends, friends to Jesus. So let's see what they saw, starting in John eleven four. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in, and what's that word? Yeah, say it again, death. death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days, which is odd, okay? But did you hear that? It sounds like Jesus is making a promise, making a promise that Lazarus' death will not end or his sickness will not end in death. And here's what amazed everybody. Jesus would make all these promises out loud around people, and then they would happen. And it blew people's minds. But besides making promises, he would also make these bold statements. Did you catch that when he said this? He said, no, it will happen for the glory of God, so the Son of God will receive glory from this. Like, wait a second, isn't it God who receives glory and should receive glory and Jesus should receive glory? So people are like, what do you do with that? I mean, what do you do when he makes statements like that? They didn't know how to respond when he did that on a regular basis. But then, you know, when they heard people maybe say those types of things, they were like crazy. But Jesus backed them up with miracles, which was absolutely unbelievable. And so everyone couldn't wait to see what Jesus was going to do. And so verse 17, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had been in the grave for how many days? Four days. Four days. Okay. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem and many of the yeah, there you go. Some of you were on track with me. All right. Many of the people, which means, wait a second. That's a lot of people. Many of the people, Jerusalem, capital city. So this family was very prominent. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, they were wealthy. They were prominent. A lot of people knew them. So the people had come to console Mary and Martha in their loss. So basically they were having a funeral at this point. Everybody is like wailing. Everybody is weeping. Everyone is sad. So verse 32, when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would have not died. And then he does something surprising. He weeps. Now, why does Jesus weep? Okay. Well, Jesus is so burdened with what sin and death has done to his friend, to these sisters, 
to us and the world that he weeps. Isn't that what we want to know? When we're hurting, don't we want to know that God is hurting? When we are down in the pits and we don't know where to turn, don't we want to know that he is right there with us? And scripture describes that Jesus not only is able to sympathize with us because he was here and went through those things, but he sympathized with people. That's what they felt. That's what Mary experienced. Isn't that what we want in a God? So picking up in verse 36, the people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him? But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Isn't that believable? Aren't there always critics no matter what they've seen? You know, <clears throat> Verse 38, Jesus was still angry because of what sin and death had done to his friends and his family as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across its interest. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha said, the dead, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe his promise? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. And in that moment, Mary, Martha, the disciples, those from Bethany, those from Jerusalem saw the amazing, saw something unbelievable, saw something extraordinary, saw something that only God could do. They saw Lazarus come out. He wasn't dead. He was alive. Jesus demonstrates for all of them that he has power, power over life and death. And it was amazing. And in that moment, everybody starts like texting and their friends and social media just like blew up and the word like spread because people were coming and making their way to the Passover celebration. And so all these Jews are coming to Jerusalem. They're traveling and word spread and it was crazy. And if we could sit down with Martha and Mary at the end of the day and ask them, what'd you learn today? I think they would have said this. I think they would have easily said that God's delays are not God's denials. Let me say that again, that God's delays are not God's denials. When God is delayed, he is still moving. He is still working. When you are in the depths of your sorrow, when you are in the depths of despair, he is there. Don't give up. Keep trusting. If he has made a promise, he will fulfill his promise. And they saw it that day. So after this amazing miracle, about a week later, it's Sunday, it's the first day of Passover, and I'm gonna be summarizing, we're gonna make it through the entire week. So it's Passover celebration, and like I said, thousands and thousands of people have come across the entire region, beyond the region, for Passover, 
And so many people have seen the posts about Jesus and they can't wait to see Jesus. And so skipping to John 12, 12, the next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord, hail to the King of Israel. So here's what's happening. The crowd have seen amazing things for three years. They have heard about this. He has healed leprosy with the touch. He has made the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk. He has commanded demons and they have obeyed him. He has uh, made five loaves and two fish into a meal for thousands. And then he does this amazing miracle with Lazarus. And so as he's approaching Jerusalem, the people knew there is nothing that could stop him. And so they want the Messiah, the king, to come in and knock out the Roman oppression that they were under. They want him to wipe out the Romans. And they want a conquering king. But instead, Jesus doesn't allow them to make him king that day. Instead, he does something that was very unexpected, okay? He begins to weep. He begins to lament. Listen to his words. And this just stunned everybody. This is the second time he's ever cried in public. In Luke 19.41, but as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. He knew what was in their hearts. Basically, the people had missed becoming the nation that they were supposed to become. They were supposed to draw all nations to God. They were supposed to help usher the nations into peace with God and not make war. But instead, they thought that God was only for them and not everyone. And so by the end of the day, the people were disappointed with Jesus. He had shown no power. The disciples are like, what is going on? We've been with you, Jesus, for three years. We've been waiting for this moment for you to become king. And you are doing what? Like, Jesus, this is your moment. You have the crowd. If you have the crowd, you have power. You have power over the religious leaders. You have power over Rome. Instead, in that moment, he does nothing. And that was unbelievable. Why would Jesus delay in his actions? Why would he not save the people? So on Monday, things continue to get worse. Jesus does something that no one expects. Mark eleven fifteen. when they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. When the leading priests and teachers of religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning how to kill him. So the religious leaders, they're done with him at this point. I mean, they're probably thinking and saying to each other that day, who is this Jesus? Who is this guy who comes running in on this donkey showing that he's like the next king, like King David, the new King David? 
Who is this guy? And what is he doing? He has the audacity to say that this temple is his temple and his father's temple and to tell us that we are like hoarding things and misusing our funds. This is how we make our funds. This is how we know how to save the people. Like we created the system. Who does he think he is? God? They were baffled. They were baffled. So that was the wrong thing to do. So on Tuesday, it was like game on between the religious leaders and Jesus, okay? So the religious leaders, they try to make like Jesus uh, look bad in front of the crowds. So all three factions that made up like the religious elite come at Jesus with questions. And here's the unbelievable thing, he made them look silly. I mean, they come and they try to stump him and they try to show that Jesus doesn't know his stuff and Jesus does make them look bad. And that ticks them off. I mean, it ticked them off. And so the disciples know this is bad. In only three short days, Jesus has like lost all the momentum of three years, okay? He's losing the crowd. He's lost the religious leaders at this point. There is no way they're thinking that the people can be saved and that you can represent God. Like, Jesus, what are you doing? And so on Wednesday, Judas, one of the disciples, he's done with Jesus, okay? Judas desired money more than being with Jesus. Now we get that, don't we? I mean, for those of us who are Christ followers and walked with God long enough, there are so many times that we are tempted to walk away from our relationship with God for something else. For those of you who are checking out this whole God thing, there are some times where we're like, you are so close, but then something always comes up. And so Judas, he gives into the power of money and he betrays Jesus for only 30 pieces of silver, which wasn't much. So then after the Passover meal on Thursday night, Jesus begins to make his move. And I love how he makes his move. He starts with prayer. He goes out and in his prayer, he aligns himself with his father's will because he wasn't just thinking about some people. Instead, he was thinking about what sin and death does to everyone, okay? So he commits to God that he will do the unbelievable, which will cost him everything. It'll cost him his life because that's what true love does. True love always makes sacrifices. True love never gives up. So he prays, my father, if this cup, which he asked to be taken away, cannot be taken away unless I drink it, drink it, your will be done. And so shortly after that, Jesus is arrested by the religious leaders and taken from one trial to the next to the next throughout the rest of that evening into Friday morning through the early hours of Friday all the way to the, uh, the Roman governor Pilate by Friday morning. And even though Pilate found Jesus to be believable, which is crazy, okay, the religious leaders did not. Listen to what Pilate says in Luke 23, 20. Pilate argued with them because he wanted to release Jesus, 
but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he demanded, why? What crime has he committed? But the mob shouted louder and louder, demanding that Jesus be crucified and their voices prevailed. So Pilate sentenced Jesus to die as they demanded. So now it's mid-afternoon on Friday and the skies have grown dark and it's gloomy. Everyone's on edge. I mean, everyone knows something is happening. It is so eerie, it's so dark, it is so unusual. But for Jesus, the darkness is a horror that he has never, ever experienced. The Father's wrath is hitting him in full force. Jesus has become sin, our sin. And so he's cut off from the Father, he's cut off from all humans, and that's why he screamed, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And shortly after 3 p.m., Jesus whispers hoarsely for a drink. Like the debt, there is no debt left to pay. He has nothing left to give. And so the wine that's given to him moistens his mouth just enough for him to say his final words. And he says, it is finish. And God, the son dies. Everyone sees it. And in their minds, this was unbelievable because messiahs don't die. Sons of God aren't killed. And he's dead. And he's buried. And the tomb is sealed. So on Saturday, there's nothing. There's silence. The guards are watching. The crowds have gone home. The disciples have fled. They're hiding. They're confused. The Savior lies lifeless. And the unbelievable has happened. No one is believing in Jesus because he is dead. Picking up in Mark 16 too. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they, that's Joanne, Mary, and Mary, and so Mary Magdalene, who had seven demons come out of her, Joanne, who was uh, married to uh, King Herod Antipas's manager, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, come to the tomb. And on the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? They, they forgot to embalm his body with spices. But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. And when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And the women were shocked. But the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. And that day, they saw him. That day, he kept his promise. He defeated sin and death through his blood. 
And when hundreds and hundreds of people saw him come back to life from the dead, the words of John the Baptist came back into their minds. John had said this of Jesus, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so when Jesus died on the cross at the end of Passover week, remembering what God had done to free them from Egypt, but yet God's intention was to free everyone from sin. It wasn't just to save some. He came so that all of us, everyone, could put our faith in Jesus to ask for the forgiveness of our sins and become our Lamb of God. And so God made the unbelievable believable when Jesus came back to life from the dead. And hundreds and hundreds of people saw it with their very own eyes, which made it believable, which makes it believable for us. So what do we do with that? You know, today's Palm Sunday. And as we enter this week, don't say this out loud, but how many of you need the unbelievable to happen in your life? For some of you, You've been checking out this whole God thing. You never knew so many people saw Jesus do the unbelievable. But you believe. You believe that Jesus is the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world and can take away your sin as well. And he can do that when you ask. For some of you, you've been only thinking about the few instead of everyone. You've been just running, running this year so far. And wouldn't it be amazing if we asked God to do the unbelievable? Wouldn't it be amazing if we think about the person that needs to hear about Jesus? And so this next Sunday, Easter Sunday, it's the Sunday that most people will come and step inside a church, okay? And so would you begin to pray for that person who you know would never say yes in coming. Would you join with God? Would you align your heart with his? And would you pray and ask God to move on that person's heart? And then would you be bold? Would you invite them to a service or even to watch online if they can't come with you here? What would that look like? What would that look like if we asked God for the unbelievable? What would we see for ourselves? So today we're going to close in prayer. We're also going to continue to sing that song that we sang just before this, Behold the Lamb in a Whole New Light, which I want you to realize. And so as I pray, if you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ and you would like to have your sins taken away, you're going to have an opportunity to do that. And then for the rest of us, if we would be praying, ask God to bring to mind those that we need to invite And would you commit to praying for them this week? And then would you invite them? So let's go ahead and pray. If you would, stand with me and I'll pray. So Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for who you are. That you are the Lamb of God. That you are the one who came. People wanted to misuse you. They didn't know what your heart was. It wasn't just for some. It was for everyone. Thank you so much for so many people 
who saw the unbelievable become believable. They saw it, they witnessed it, they were, it was talked about. They were interviewed, it was written down. When we read the accounts, these are real people who saw you, Jesus, saw you die, saw you come back to life from the dead. And so God, there's someone here today that finally believes and they would like to enter into a relationship with you. If that's you, would you just simply raise your hand with everybody else, hands down? Would you raise your hand? If you've never put your faith in Christ and you want to do that today, would you just raise your hand? Be bold. Awesome. If that's you, just simply pray this. Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Would you save me? Would you be my God? Thank you for coming back to life from the dead. Save me. And Father, right now we just lift up our friends, our families, our neighbors, even our enemies. We ask for the unbelievable. I pray that you will give us boldness, that this will be on our mind all week to be praying for those that we know. I pray that we will pack this place out in three services so that you will receive the glory. And so, Father, put it on our hearts all week. We pray right now for that person. And so we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.